Bishop Morgan and Diane came to us at the last General Assembly back at the end of July, began their ministry here. Uh, there's a lot that I could say. Uh, I know he's a great writer, although I haven't read his books yet, so I've heard he's a great writer. Uh, but I have, I have uh, enjoyed uh, one state council meeting because my time was up, uh, but I know he's a great administrator. Came to us from the great state of Texas, and, uh, but they've heard about how wonderful Virginia is. And I can tell you, after being on the eastern side of the state, I can, I can tell you confidently, you won't find any greater a people than you do in southwest Virginia. Because I know some of them eastern folks. I know them well. They welcomed us here, <clears throat> Bishop Morgan, with open arms. And I've had some great overseers over the past several years, and we're just learning each other, getting to know each other for the last six months. And I've had great overseers with great skills. But I can say this, uh, great overseers in times past, but you won't find a more preaching overseer than we're blessed with. And I'm thankful that he and Diane are with us today. And would you give them a nice, warm Pulaski welcome as our administrative bishop, our state overseer, comes to share the word of God with us? Thanks, Pastor. What a delight to be with you and uh, all of the great people here in Pulaski, Virginia. Thank you, Bishop. Thanks for letting us come and be a part of today for this great worship. We honor your pastor, his staff, the leadership, the great things that the Lord is doing with them and through them here in your midst. What a privilege to be with you. We are, we are so thankful. Heard about Pulaski, Bob White Boulevard for a long time. A number of years ago, when we were younger pastoring in Mobile, Alabama, there was a young man by the name of Tim Stout. He was part of our church. Some of you guys remember the Stouts, and they were wonderful people there, but I go back further. When I was just a young, young guy starting in ministry, on my first assignment, my pastor that I worked for, Brother James Hawkinsmith, had me make contact with churches and get their mail-out bulletin like we used to do so I could come up with ideas and see what other great churches were doing. And one of those that I contacted was right here. And uh, I got your bulletin way back when in Alabama. So you poured into my life a long time ago. What an honor and a delight it is to be with you today, to get to meet you. And uh, certainly you have been so kind to us and we're delighted and honored to be a part of all the Lord is doing. What a beautiful place you have here. Facility to worship. Great worship. Thank you for leading us into the presence of the Lord today. It is good to be in God's house. Amen. Amen. You ought to give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. Again, I honor your pastor. Love him. Care for him. Treat him good. No church ever fails to be blessed that takes care of their pastor and gets involved in world missions. I'm just telling you, God has something to do about that. And wear as many Philadelphia Eagle jerseys as you can possibly wear next week. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and the Lord will bless you. will minister to you. Well, I sat in your cushioned chairs and I thought, man, I'm fighting an uphill battle today. That's so comfortable. I mean, yeah, yeah you just, it's so easy to lay back and and, and slip right out. My preaching's so bad that in Mobile one time, I had to have people just go wake them up. I've got the old ways that they used to do in the old Puritan churches. They'd have those long poles with a little knot on the end of them. They'd pop them in the head and wake them up when they went to sleep. 
had a guy fall out in the aisle one day, and a guy went over and hit him and to wake him up, and he said, hit me again. I can still hear him, you know, so. But uh, maybe we'll get through it today. I'm going to direct your attention to the Word of the Lord to, to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. And it's a passage. I told pastor, I said, you know, you guys are guinea pigs today because I've been chewing on this passage for about a week or so and trying to come up with something that's just captivated me. And so I'm going to share with you what the Lord's kind of helped me dig out of this today. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate, and they were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmontutha. Then the disciple, the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. The Lord will help me. I'm going to preach just a few minutes this morning about this. Full stomachs, but empty hearts. Father, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Help me in these next few moments here just to share your word, to say what you want said. Do in this room what you want to do. Awaken our hearts. Draw us to you. May the presence of the Holy One fill the place. We need you. We trust you. We look to you. In Jesus' lovely name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much this morning. You ever notice on a shampoo bottle where it says, lather, rinse, repeat? I've always thought that was just a marketing ploy to get me to buy more shampoo. Because after all, if, if it can't wash my eight hairs on my head in one washing, I mean, come on, you know, lather. It's, it's just get you to repeat to do something, something else. It's a, in this passage, there's almost a sense of that. It's like it's deja vu all over again. I've heard this story before. I, something's, something's just popping up in my mind. The truth is that Jesus had just earlier fed 5,000 Jewish people scattered across a Judean hillside. It's in Matthew 14, it's in Mark chapter 6, it's in Luke chapter 9, and it's in John chapter 6. As a matter of fact, that miracle is the only miracle that is contained in all four Gospels. It shows us the power of Jesus. And to some, the similarities between that and this caused them to think, well, Mark got his stories mixed up, and he got facts wrong, and things are just not like that, because Jesus obviously only did that 
one time. But the problem is they are mistaken because there are glaring differences between the feeding of the 5,000 in Judea and the feeding of the 4,000 in this event. Number one, there were five loaves in one. There were seven in the other. When he fed 5,000, there were 12 basketfuls, small baskets in the Greek text, that were gathered up. Some will tell you, because he was feeding exclusively Jews in that day, that he was telling them, I am the fulfillment of everything for the 12 tribes of Israel. I am the one coming about whom Moses spoke. Whereas in this time, he picked up seven large baskets that remain. Some who are into numerology will tell you, seven tells you this was the fulfillment, the completion of God. It's not just to Israel, but it is to the large corners of the world. In the paint where they fed 5,000, they sat on grassy hillsides in Judea, whereas when they fed the 4,000, they were on scattered dirt because the grass had been withered. In one time, it was a completely Jewish audience. When he had fed 5,000 and the women and children made it a lot more than that. We know that. Those people were Jews. They were of the commonwealth of Israel. But here he's feeding a Gentile world. He's feeding those who are outside the commonwealth of Israel. And most importantly of all, Jesus said there were two instances. He's the one that confirmed that there were two distinct instances. And I'll just be honest with you. I'll take the word of Jesus over that of every scholar, over every preacher, over every commentator, over every president, over every dictator. If Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. I will take him at his word. Amen. And so Jesus did this. And before I get into the the, the nitty-gritty, I want to talk about just two or three things that really leap out at me uh, about this particular instance. And and one is the place where, where it happened. It took place in an area called Decapolis, which is ten cities that gathered at kind of the northeastern edge of the Sea of Galilee. This was a collection of ten Gentile-run cities and towns, villages there, and it had everything the pagan world had to offer. No devout Jew would be caught dead there if he could help it. They were culturally and religiously alien to the disciples and to all the good new Jews of the day. When they walked into that place, when Jesus and the disciples got out of the boat and they walked into the cities of Decapolis, they were as out of place as you could possibly be. I mean, they didn't fit. They didn't, it wasn't home, it wasn't right. Nothing about that place fit them. A number of years ago when we were pastoring in Mobile, Don and I had to go to a funeral up in Mississippi. We had a lot of people that had come from Mississippi and, and, and worked in Mobile. So we would go back and we would do their funerals. We went with two staff members. Andrick and Rhonda Darty were there with us. And we had just been there a little while. And we drove up, went to the funeral, dressed in suits. And they were dressed nice. And on the way back, Pastor, we decided, let's find us a little catfish house. 
So sure enough, we passed one on this way going into Waynesboro, Mississippi. And it was a little old bitty cinder block painted white and kind of rusted over now, kind of catfish place. But there were cars everywhere. I mean, they were just lined up. So you knew it had to be good. So we got out of the car, put on our coats. We walked into the place. Here's two guys walking in in suits and ties. And I promise you, we were the only people in suits and ties. We were out of place. They looked at us like the feds had come to town. or the rep- They stared at us like we were aliens from another planet because we didn't fit in to that crowd. The catfish was great, by the way. That's kind of what happened with Jesus and his disciples when they went into Decapolis. They did not fit. But yet, right into that cauldron of paganism, I mean, right into the middle of all that demonized stuff going on, Jesus walked in and displayed the same amazing power to change lives that he did back on a Judean hillside a little bit earlier. There is no such place as a location where Jesus cannot make himself known in power and in glory. Do you hear me? You can't find a place on this earth. You can't, you said it, above this earth. You can't even find a place beneath this earth where he is not Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I've come to tell you today, you can't find a church dead enough that the glory of the Lord can't show up and make himself known. You can't get in a service dry enough that the Lord can't walk in and change your life and redirect everything about you. Why, you can't even preach a sermon bad enough to make him so weak and so lowly that he's not able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Do you hear me today? You can't get in a prayer meeting quiet enough that the power of the Holy Ghost can't show up and do something amazing in our lives. You can't get in an altar barren enough that the power of the Spirit can flow and make a difference in our lives. Do you hear me today? You'll never be where Jesus can't do something dramatic and powerful in your life. Somebody ought to praise him a little bit right now. I know it may be hard where you are, but you can't go so far that the Lord can't do something in your life. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. He said, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Do you hear me? That You may be dwelling in a very dark and lonely place, but that's all right. Darkness and light are just the same to him. You may feel like you're in the very depths of hell. Look around. You're going to find out he is there with you. You may be walking in a furnace of infirmity or sickness. I promise you, the fourth man is still in the fire today. If you look around you'll find out that even in Decapolis, Jesus is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords. Why don't you praise Him like He is right now? We declare your glory today, Lord. Hallelujah. Look at the the pedestrian need He was so worked up about. I mean, He was concerned about something as common as their eating habits. About dinner. 
Now, I know that shocks some of you because right now you're saying, oh, man, it's 11, 18. If he'll get us out of here quick, we can get to the buffet fast. I know you're worried about dinner. I get it. But listen, listen to what Jesus told his disciples again. I have compassion on these people because they've now continued with me three days and they've run out of food. They've got nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their houses, some of them will faint on the way. Or some of them have come from a long distance. There were, there were thousands of people there, and they'd been with him for three days. They'd been out there, and, and they brought food with them, but the supplies run out. And there's not a grocery store in sight. And you got kids that are squalling because they're hungry. And you got tempers flare because people are hungry. You know, and you got all this stuff that, that's going on. And Jesus says, you know what, disciples, I'm concerned about groceries today. I'm concerned about those people having something to eat today. Now, we tend to think Jesus is only concerned about big stuff. You know, war and pestilence and famine and natural disasters. But the real Jesus, the one in the Bible, the real one, is concerned with everyday, ordinary, common routines that you and I do every day of our lives. While he's displayed in Scripture as one concerned with the least and the last among people in Mark chapter 10, he takes little children that they would shoo away, but he takes them up in his arms and he blesses them. And he doesn't dismiss them. He's concerned about just kids running around. You said some kids got saved, some children last Sunday. There's nothing better. Jesus said, hey, you got to be like these little ones if you're going to have the kingdom of God. I mean, he's shown and displayed in John chapter 2. He's displayed as a man who is concerned about the embarrassment of a family at a wedding. Why did he turn that water to wine? Because he was worried about them being embarrassed. And I mean, just a common thing like that. In fact, Paul, one of the great disciples of this guy named Jesus, tells us just how involved in our lives Jesus will be if we are willing to let him be so. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, this is the New English translation, puts it this way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. He said he's worried about, don't be worried about anything, but in everything, tell your heart to Jesus. That tells me he's worried, he's concerned about your test tomorrow that you're going to have in school. He's worried about that test you're going to have with a doctor. He's worried about whether you're going to pay your light bill this month. He's concerned about that which concerns you. Do you get what I'm saying today? You're thinking Jesus is only worried about the president and about the war in Ukraine. But I promise you he's worried about the tread on your tires and your ability to make ends meet in your life. He's worried about that thing that's bothering you. And today he steps back and he says, if you'll bring that stuff to me and you'll lay it out with thanksgiving, if you'll get real detailed and you'll pour it out, I promise you this, the peace of God that the world does not understand will surround you will guard you will hold you and you will walk in victory today Jesus is worried about the everyday parts of your life amen and thirdly there's something here I want you to see that actually I'd never seen till this week and that talks about the praise of Jesus a careful reading of the text shows us that Jesus was giddy in praise to the father about what was about to happen Verse 7, they had a few small fish, and, and he blessed them, and he set that before them. Now, that sounds as mundane as you can get. He said, bless it, Lord. You know, bless it. Bless it. 
But when you dig deeper, there's something amazing here. Jesus did more than say a little blessing over food. We do that real quickly. We'll pray, Father, bless the food. You know, whatever your standard prayer is, we kind of go through it, and it's kind of rote and ritual. But Jesus, in the text, and if you dig into the text, Jesus is giving praise to the Father for what is about to happen in the lives of those people. He looked out. Pastor, he looked out and he saw 4,000 people at least, probably more than that, because it's probably just 4,000 Gentile men there. He looked out and he saw thousands of people who were really hungry, some of whom were about to get in trouble, blood sugars dropping, all that stuff happening. And he got excited because he saw their need and he knew what he was about to do. He saw their need and got excited because he knew, I'm about to do something that's going to rock their world. I'm going to do something in their lives that's going to forever change the course of their destiny. I'm not come preaching some begrudging Jesus to you this morning. I've come preaching a Jesus who loves to bless his children. I'm not talking about a miserly heavenly father, but one who delights in giving good things unto those who call upon his name. I'm not even presenting a weary God who answers out of duty, but one who rejoices that today he's able to pour out upon you his blessing. I've come to tell you, run to him, rush to him, make your needs in detail known to him, and let him pour out his glory in your life this morning. But our problem's becoming, we're, we're, we're becoming a people with full stomachs but empty hearts. We're becoming, if we're not careful, people like those around Jesus. We orbit around him, but we never really fully receive from him. And here's what we do. I'm going to talk about three things, okay? Real quickly, I'm going to, I'm going to hurry up try to get you out of here in a minute. I'm going to talk about three things that will keep you from really receiving from the Lord. Number one, Jesus got in the boat. The disciples are with him. The, 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 the religious leaders come up and accuse him. They, they accost him. We'll talk about it. He gets in the boat. He sails across the sea. He looks at the disciples, and he's talking to them, and he says to them, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of the Sadducees. The disciples begin to fight with each other. What's he talking about? He's talking about this. I didn't bring bread. Simon, you were supposed to bring bread. No, Matthew, you were in charge of bread. No, no, Judas was supposed to got bread. And Jesus finally looks at him and said, Would you shut up talking about bread? Don't you know what I can do? Why is your heart so hard? That's what happened, Okay. Now, let me tell you the three ways you can miss the Lord. Number one, if you're not careful, you'll be like the Pharisees. You'll let rotten religion keep you from receiving from God. I mean, right on the heels of what God had done, Mark 8, 11, the, the Pharisees came out, began to dispute with him, and said, I want to see a sign from heaven. That then gives us immediately. He just, they just cleaned up this amazing banquet There are seven huge baskets of fish and bread, and the Pharisees walk up, and they say, show us a sign. I want to scream at them, what more do you need? Oh, yeah, we heard about all that, but now you do something that will amaze us. You see, it's easy to fall prey to a religion that says, I will not believe until it is done my way. That's a rotten religion, the Pharisees speaking right there. They had seen Jesus change people. They had seen people walking out going, my, I'd never ate so much. They had seen all that stuff, but they said, you didn't do it my way, so it can't be real. 
It can't be right. It can't happen. It's just not God's not going to work that way. Did you know revivals, great revivals have been missed because people didn't like the looks of the one being used of the Lord? Well, I've come to mess with you, Pastor. You're going to have a lot to clean up when I leave, but that's all right. Yeah, there have been people missing mighty move of God because they didn't like the way God dressed. Or they didn't like the way he looked. Or they didn't like the way he appeared. Great blessings have been missed because people didn't like the way somebody acted when the glory of the Lord fell on them. Oh, yeah, I think I'll take a minute here, right? All right. In Birmingham, Alabama, we had a mighty move of God. God showed up one Sunday night in our church. He did. I mean, he showed up on a Sunday night. It was an amazing time. And, and revival broke up, Pastor. It was just one of those seasons. It lasted about nine months, and it was just crazy. It was changed the way I did church. People were coming in. Hundreds of people were coming in. They were getting safe. Things were happening. Do you know I lost some of the best friends I had during that time? Because they didn't like the way the Lord moved in the place. Never mind what God was doing. Oh, it'll happen. Did you know there are people in hell right now because they refuse to submit to the fact God is in control and he calls us to come to us, him on his terms? Rotten religion has to be done my way. If it didn't my way, if they didn't get it like I got it, if it didn't like I had it, it doesn't take place like I got it. A lot of us are missing out on the move of God today because people are being baptized in the Holy Ghost and they didn't get it the same way we got it. Rotten religion will cause you to miss the Lord. Yeah, rotten religion will cause you to miss out on what God wants to do during your life. I don't know about you. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how it comes. I just want to see the glory of the Lord come. Amen? I want to see the glory of the Lord in my life. I, I, hey, you know what? I've got some lost loved ones. I don't care what they look like, what they came out of. If they'll go to them and give them the gospel and get them saved, sick them out, send them the money and the gas money to get there. I just want to see the glory of the Lord come into my life. I want to see the Lord show up. I want to see the Lord do something because the rotten religion of the Pharisees will leave you powerless and empty. It will rob you of the possibility of God's amazing power being displayed in your life because it does not fit your demands. But I'm saying, Lord, show up, show out, do what you want to do any way you want to do it. Use who you want to use in any way you want to use them. Just do something powerful in my life. Amen. <clears throat> empty, empty heart but a full stomach. The second thing you see there, the Sadducees show up. You know what the Sadducees are? The Sadducees are poisonous politicians. The religious leaders called the Sadducees were so sold out to politics that in Matthew, Jesus calls them the Herodians after Herod. The Sadducees were chameleons. They would be whatever they had to be in order to stay on top. The Sadducees had control of the temple. They were primarily wealthy men. And they held great sway over religion in Israel. And they had the Roman military in their back pocket later if you go to the book of Acts you're going to see them as the primary opponents of the gospel and of the church the Sadducees were powerful politicians now they believed in Moses but they believed Moses was it if they didn't say it in Moses they did not believe it they did not believe in the afterlife they did not believe in the miraculous they did not believe in anything supernatural only two things rang their bell it was money 
and power. And they would sell out. They would change. They would adapt to do anything they had to do in order to stay in the money and the power. Now, poisonous politics refuses to accept that there is one greater than the party. Poisonous politics refuses to come to grips with the idea that a man cannot transform himself, that that is the work that only God can do. Poisonous politics is so carnal, so earthly, that it rejects outright the very idea that God can inject himself into the affairs of men. It is a carnal religion politics mix that is so deadly because it believes that man is in control and it uses religion only to get ahead where it needs to but it can shove it aside when it wants to I don't know if you're understanding what I'm talking about but I'm talking about politics in America of every stripe they will come to the church and they will court the church and then they will leave the gospel behind when they get elected and they will do what they want to do here's where it gets dangerous for people like you and like me. We'll get so caught up in that and we will stop doing the things that men hungry for a move of God will do in their life. It'll make you abandon passionate prayer. It'll cause you to set aside the pursuit of holiness and instead you will bow to cultural demands because after all, that's what we need to do. You'll stop. You'll cease being passionate in worship because the Herodians will tell you there's no need to do that because you're just spinning stuff up into the air anyway and it conjures up this idea that we really are in this thing alone there is no God who's going to break through in human history while God's that's just an idea that we use to lean on but the problem with that is the Bible the word of the Lord presents God as a God who moves and a God who sees and a God who hears and a God who speaks I've come to tell you lift up your heads to the gates and the king of glory shall come in. I'm not going to bow to the poisonous politics of the carnal elite but I'm going to worship him in spirit and in truth and I'm going to see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. So you follow men if you want to. I'm going to follow the one that one day every one of them will bow and confess you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't let that ruin you. Full stomachs but empty hearts. Let's talk about the disciples a minute. The dull disciples. And like them, we, you know, we, 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 we're our, we make our own worst mistakes. We can't get out of our own way sometimes. We, we know better, but sometimes we just can't seem to help ourselves. Like those who orbited around Jesus... We have a hard time grasping the marvel of the one who is with us. To remind you, they just fed 4,000 plus people with bread and fish. You got seven loaves of bread. I don't know how big a loaf was. I can tell you it wasn't as big as this auditorium. I mean, they're carrying it. Somebody's got it in their pocket. And a few little small fish here there, probably little St. Peter's fish, little sardine-like things. 
And Jesus said, make everybody sit down. He kind of sent them, get them to sit down orderly. And they sat down in groups. And then they started coming back, and Jesus started handing, you know, he gave Simon Peter a bunch, and then he gave Matthew a bunch, and Bartholomew a bunch, and Nathaniel a bunch, and Judas a bunch, and Zelotes. They just started handing it out. And they went out. I, I don't know where they started, Pastor. I don't know if they went all the way back and worked their way up. I don't know how they divided it, but they, they're probably going out and saying, man, huh, huh. And they go back because it's all gone when they leave, and they go back, and they walk back up, and Jesus just starts handing them more. Okay. You know, and they go out, and uh, they had to make a lot of trips to feed that many people. And every time they went back, to their amazement, he just keeps handing out bread and fish. Hallelujah. Every time they go back, miraculously, I mean, it's just there. And when the Bible tells us that when it's all said and done, he said, now go get what's left on the ground. And they use big baskets. And the, the Judean thing, the Hebrew or Greek will tell us it's small. This time it's big old baskets. He said, go get it. And they got up seven whole baskets full that was left over. And as soon as they get through with that, Jesus sends the people away, sends them back home. And he and the 12 get in a the boat. They had this argument with the Pharisees and all and they get in a boat. And they're going across the lake. And Jesus turned and said, boys, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Bad theology and bad politics. Beware of that. And then they start arguing. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? They said, well, stupid, you're supposed to be red. He's mad because we don't have a loaf of bread. If you, you know, I'm not really taking any much liberty with it because in the Greek text, it's they started reasoning, which is not, oh, let us sit and reason together. It's kind of argumenting. And it was insistent, persistent stuff. No, you did it. No, you did it. You ever had your kids get in a fight? You did it. You did it. You did it. He, he you know, just, yeah, 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 constant. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you, finally, you turn around and say, if you make me stop this car. <laughs> when your kids were little, did you ever try to swarp them? You know what that means? You reach behind the back seat. You're trying to hit something, anything. They learn, man, they get those legs up out of the way. Yeah. You make me stop this car. Simon Peter and Matthew and Simon Zodis and Nathaniel, all those guys, they're arguing. It's your fault. You should have had the bread. I told you to bring bread. He's mad because you didn't have bread. You were supposed to bring some of that bread, and you let that bread in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally Jesus turned, and apparently something in the tone of his voice set him off. It, it, it's kind of in there. He said, what are you guys fighting about? Why are you fussing so much? Why are you so persistent? I don't need a loaf of bread. Have you not yet figured out what I can do with nothing? You, you guys have been there. You just carried fish and bread to thousands of people. And you're arguing, thinking, I am upset because I do not have the paltry provisions that you can make. You see, the Pharisees were hard-hearted because Jesus defied their religion. And the Sadducees were hard-hearted because Jesus defied their politics. But the disciples were hard-hearted because Jesus defied their limitations. They struggled with what he could do based upon their provisions. 
because they were limited, they thought he was limited. Because they didn't have something, they thought that meant he had nothing. Because they could not pull it out of a hat, they thought he could not pull something out of a hat. They had witnessed it, they had seen it, they had walked it, but the moment they got put into a situation that they thought they could not handle, they started limiting the limitless one. They added up all their capabilities and they realized we don't have what it takes. And I'm telling you today, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. It is the limitations they placed upon Jesus that caused the boat to crash that day. They created a Jesus in their image rather than being formed into the image of God. They reverted back to it in Mark 8 verse 4. The New English says when he said, hey, what do you got? They said, well, what are we going to do? Where can you get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy this big group of people? Out in the middle of nowhere, nothing to offer, but they suddenly looked around and missed the fact. They missed the marvel that standing right over there is one who not long ago fed a crowd bigger than this with a little boy's lunch less than what we have. I've come to tell you in Pulaski, Virginia this morning locations and limitations mean absolutely nothing to him. Your inability to produce means nothing to him. Your inability to make it work out right means nothing to him. The fact you can't control some situation is absolutely nothing to him. Do you understand me? I'm tired of creating a God in my image. I want to see a God in his image. He can walk in the fire. He can walk through a sea. He can walk on the sea. He can hear you from the depths of the sea. He can cause people to pass through a river. He can make a walled city fall flat in a moment's notice. He can provide food with a crow out by a creek or he can set a banquet before you in the very presence of your enemies. He'll anoint a shepherd boy out there to be a king or he will anoint your head with oil and your cup will run over. I've just come to tell you this Jesus we're talking about is limitless and locations mean nothing whatsoever to him. And they struggled and they limited. They struggled with what he could do, and they struggled with whom he could do it to. You see, feeding 5,000 Jews, children of Israel, is nothing. But boy, feeding 5,000 pagan Gentiles, hmm, another story. You see, they deserved it in Judea because they're children of Abraham. This bunch, I mean, come on, how can Jesus do that for them? We miss the marvel when we decide whom he can. Huh. Come Holy Spirit. And whom he cannot touch with his glory and grace. You do realize today God sent his son to save the world. The world. All those people you see on TV, 
throwing rocks and acting like fools that just make your blood run hot, Jesus came to save them. I've come to give somebody hope today. I've come to tell some mother in this room whose son is so far from God that he wouldn't know Jesus if he kicked him in the shins. That this Jesus is not limited by your fears or your limitations. But he can reach into the hell holes of life and rescue your son. I've come to sell some daddy whose daughter is so hooked on drugs you've not heard from her. You have no idea where she is right now. That this Jesus knows exactly where she is. And what's more, he is not limited by the limitations of a church that's just kind of hanging around, orbiting around. No, no, no. This real Jesus out of the Bible, he's able to go right down to that hell hole where she is right now. She may be sound out, passed out on drugs. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is able to touch her right now and rescue her and drag her out and redeem her and change her life. I've come to tell some somebody something good today like the dull disciples who could not figure it out just couldn't get it all together that does not limit Jesus he is able to go in and break every chain as we talk about he's able to set everybody free his ability to supply will never be outstripped by your ability to consume you will never wake up one day and have reached the limits of God's power and God's ability and God's touch you'll never be able to eat all that God can produce You'll never be able to consume all that God gives. Your kids will never be able to expend all of the mercy and the grace of God. You'll never reach a point in your life where God says, I'm out. I don't have anything else left to give. That's humanity. But your God is so far above that. This Jesus is not like that. He will never be run out of proud power for the problems that you are facing in your life. Now, come on and play. If you'll play something, I'll quit. Don't do like one guy did one time. He said, play some stopping music, okay? And a guy got up and played stop in the name of love. Don't, you know, don't go that way. Here's my question I want to throw out to you this morning. How can I Position myself that I can witness the glory of God in my life. I'm tired of just coming to church and hearing a good preaching and singing. How can I reach a place, get to the point where I can become a recipient of glory? More than just a full stomach, empty heart. How can I walk out of a place like this stamped with the glory of the Lord? Oh, I bet, Pastor, I bet you those people in Decapolis went back to those pagan cities and they walked into a... They walked down by some pagan temple to, to Zeus or something like that and all these people are out there doing whatever they did to worship Zeus and they said, let me tell you what I met yesterday about 30 miles from here. What's Zeus done for you lately? I'm telling you about one who fed me, who broke bread and fed me. I saw it with my own eyes, boys. How can we go from just being in church and doing whatever to being so stamped by the glory that next week all over this county, people are saying, man, let me tell you what happened to me Sunday. Number one. 
you got to be willing to get up and go after it. Sorry, it's not going to come find you back there. Do you realize that every one of those people that fed, that were fed, they left home. They took time off work. They pulled kids out of school. They, they were inconvenienced. This stuff's not going to just happen. You've got to be willing to be put out a little bit. You've got to be willing to have your routine be upset a little bit. You've got to be willing to be misunderstood. Don't you know some of them went back to the job that next week. And the boss said, where have you been? And they said, I, you just, ah, it's just so great. And he starts fussing. And they say, say what you want to say. But what I had happen to me this week, I don't care. You got to be willing to be to go after it. You got to be willing to get up and go. You got to be willing to pursue, to chase. You got to be a little bit like Bartimaeus. Go study it. Go read it. It talks about how Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the road. He didn't sit there and let Jesus walk by and say, "Well, it just didn't happen." No, he got a blind man. A blind man started following after Jesus. You're gonna have to get up and go after it. Don't expect pastor to deliver it to you. Don't expect to sit here in a tile open and God to pour it out on you. Don't quit expecting it to be easy and microwavable and fast. But decide, I'm going to get up and go after it. It may not happen today. If it doesn't, I'll go after it tomorrow. If it doesn't happen then, I'm going to go after it tomorrow. Get up and go after it. Stay after Call on the name of the Lord. I mean, just be on God's nerves. You're around him so much. Ringing the prayer bells of heaven. Number two, be willing to risk allowing the Holy Spirit to take you from your natural tendencies and direct you in another direction. Some people in this room, I don't know you, okay? I know pastor and his wife. I never met the staff. I know that. But there are some people in this room, listen to me well. You are going to have to push past your shyness and learn to radically worship in order to see God break through in your life. You hear me? You're going to have to push past being hidden in the crowd and kind of watching and say, uh-uh, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to lift up my hands. And I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. Pastor, I may, you may have to calm me down, but I'm going to dance before the Lord. I, I, I might even, I might even run it out. I don't know. You're going to have to push past your natural tendencies to be shy and realize the marvel of the one who has redeemed you. Somebody in the room, listen to me. You're going to have to release the hurts from yesterday to which you cling. Forgive and let it go. In order to receive the full glory of the Lord. Pastor, we've got a lot of people in the church of God today who are going to have to break the spell of money. And learn that it all comes from the Lord. And develop a generous and a giving heart. we got people all across Virginia in the church of God who are going to have to move beyond the concern about appearance and status and instead become a broken worshiper in his presence who says, I don't really care what you think about me. I, I, I don't care. <clears throat> I, 
you can laugh, you can mock, you can do what you, I don't care what you say at the restaurant next week about me, because honey, I'm not praising you. I'm trying to break through to one who can break open the loaves and fishes in my life and change my course radically today. I believe, come on, stand with me. I believe right now Jesus is giddy at the right hand of the Father. I do. I believe right now Jesus is seated. The man Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in, in heaven. You know that, right? And Pastor, I think he's kind of excited because he's probably elbowing the, the Father saying, man, what I'm about to do in her life down there in Pulaski, Virginia just really tickles me this morning. What, what, I, what I'm about to do in his life, what I'm about to do in their kid's life, what I'm about to do in that place this morning, it really gets me going because you know what? I'm about to meet a need just like I did in Decapolis that day because somebody's going after me. Somebody's coming after me. Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that is at work in you right now. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just lift our hands a minute. If you're in the house and you're, you know him and you walk with him, you kind of orbit around him. Why don't you praise him a little bit right now? Just tell him, Lord, I love you this morning. We worship you, Jesus. you Jesus come on bless him just worship him a minute we're in no rush it's not even 12 o'clock yet we're in no great hurry we're just here uh, I don't want to leave here with a full stomach but an empty heart I want to leave full of the Holy Ghost today hey here's what I didn't come with a planned altar service here's what I feel like doing I want you, if you need to bump into a limitless Jesus who's not afraid of your location nor scared off by the scarcity of your life, you need him to do in you something nobody else can do. It may be in your body, it may be in your family, it may be in your finances, but you need Jesus to do in you what nobody else can do. I want you to get out and come stand with me real quick right here. Come on. I'm not going to belabor it. I've told you, if you want it, you got to go get it. It's not coming back there to get you. Come on. Come on. Gather with me real quick. Come on. Come on. If you need healing, come on. If you need your marriage saved, come on. If you need a financial miracle, come on. Come on. Come on. If you are in the room and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, and today you want to be set free and saved and your name written in the book of life, come on, we'll find you. We'll pray with you. We'll help you. Come on. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire, come on. Come on. If you've got something, a, a debilitating sin that is haunting you, and you want to be sanctified, set free, come on. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God. We're going to believe God. Come on, come on. Come on, you and the altar, just start worshiping the Lord a little while. Don't, don't look around at me. I can't do anything for you, but Jesus can. Jesus can. Pastor, I don't know if you have prayer teams or what, but if you're here and you're a prayer team member, you pray for people, come on, get in the altar with us. We're going to pray. 
We're going to lay hands on people and pray. I want them to begin to sing. And while they begin to sing, we're going to begin to pray. Pastor, let's begin to pray for people. Prayer partners, come on, stretch your hands this way. Let's begin to pray for people.